Well, let me invite you to uh, take your Bible with me, and we'll turn together to Genesis chapter 18. Our text for this morning is verses 1 through 15. Genesis chapter 18, 1 through 15, it's where our focus will be today. And uh, if you're using the church Bible, there's lots of them in the room. Help yourself to one. If you don't own a modern translation of the Bible, you can have that for yourself. Take it home. Uh, page 12 in that book. Page 12. All right, let's give our attention to the reading of God's Word. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves and after that, you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as, you, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, three seahs of flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where's Sarah, your wife? And he said, She's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door, be tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall bear, Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No. But you did laugh. This is the word of the Lord. And uh, I trust that you are grateful. We have this in our hands, such easy access to God's word. I invite you to pray with me as we ask for the Lord's help during this time. I need it uh, as the proclaimer. You need it as the, the listener. Father in heaven, um, you have spoken. And no one can add to your words or take away from them, that would be blasphemy. But you call men to preach, and as the one tasked with this uh, responsibility this morning, I stand before you, Father, as one who wants to be faithful uh, to you and what you have already spoken, to give explanation and application as I ought. Um, Lord, we all need um, to be ready to hear from you. And I pray that you would make us so. By your Holy Spirit, move in our hearts, our minds, uh, take away distractions, and cause us to hear from you directly. And while a mere man speaks, uh, Lord, we need your Spirit to plant your living and active word in our hearts. And that's what will bring about your desired 
uh, will in our lives. Because even as the, the rain and the snow come and water the earth, bringing food so that we can eat, Lord, so it is that your word will accomplish exactly what you want. So help us and glorify the Lord Jesus in this time. We ask it in his name. Amen. Uh, some of you know me pretty well, know that I really like playing hockey. Uh, the, the team that I was on with both my sons, just ending our season this last Wednesday, uh, we won our championship together, which is great. But uh, lately, Kathy has been encouraging me to hang up the skates. And it's mainly because I've dislocated uh, both shoulders a combined four times now, and the last time was just Wednesday. It was a rather annoying the obvious truth here is that I've got some limitations, and, and as you get older, stuff doesn't work like it used to. I'm not quite ready to hang up the skates. I'll put up with a little more pain, but uh, there will come a day. I'll just recognize I can't do certain things any longer. We obviously take this to heart. All of us have limits, young or old. They're just simply things we could never do or things we can't, that we used to do that we can no longer do. One would think for an almost centenarian and his 90-year-old wife, having children would be impossible. But from our text, we see that the Lord had other plans. Now, in the last chapter that we dealt with last time, uh, Abraham was told that Sarah would conceive and bear a child. He was given the name at that time, Isaac. And he, as he received this message, Abraham fell on his face and laugh to himself. Now, I don't know how much time separates chapter 17 and 18. I really, I really don't know. Back in 17, chapter 17, verse 21, the Lord there tells Abraham that his wife Sarah will bear a son at this time next year. And so in our text that we just read together, chapter 18, verse 14, the Lord says, I will return to you about this time next year. Sarah shall bear a son. So maybe it's, Soon after, days, at most, perhaps a month later. But what seems likely here is that um, Sarah was either unaware of what the Lord told Abraham about her, that she'd bear a son, or that she didn't trust Abraham if indeed he did tell her. Now, here in chapter 18, Abraham receives the, the same message. And now, with the intention, I take it, that Sarah hears directly. Though she's listening from behind, the intention is to include her, include her in the conversation. And like her husband, she also laughs. Now, what's different this time is that the message is delivered by the Lord in human form, accompanied by two other men. And so as I pondered the text, I thought, what is required of Abraham? What is required of Sarah? The Lord asks them a rhetorical question. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? And I take it, a simple conclusion is what is required of them is to hear, to hear and believe. Now, I'll remind you of the larger context of this chapter of Genesis, all of Genesis. In fact, as it's connected to the larger work of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, the initial audience for this is the Israelites. They're about to 
take the promised land, the land that was promised to Abraham, the land that Abraham is now standing in, that he is a sojourner in. They are about to possess that land. And the son being promised to Sarah is the very son through whom they owe their very existence. They're about to possess that land and they're about to become a people through the son that Abraham is now promised in this text. And what should God's people do in response to his promises? As they are hearing this story about Abraham, as they're reflecting on the entirety of their history, as it's been explained to at this point, as they're about to possess the land that the Lord said, this is yours. What they need to do is hear and believe. And that's instructive for us as well. So we have to pose the question to ourselves, I would suggest, that, that the same question set before Abraham and Sarah. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And I take it that we must rest in the fact that the substance of our relationship with God as His children is not what we do or how we perform or the things that we might bring to Him, but it's simply that we hear and believe, that we hear and believe. So that's my outline for this morning. So let's deal with this. First section, I want to talk about hearing. Hearing. Now, uh, I experienced this this last week. I was up at a conference in Sioux Falls, and uh, as one of the uh, now leaders in our district, I've been made, appointed, I guess, somewhat reluctantly, the chairman of the Board of Overseers for the Heartland District of our churches. Set that aside, I was asked by our district executive minister, our district president, to make an announcement in the room. And I had this experience that everybody's chatting, and, and I don't know if you've ever done this. You try to get control of a room. You want to make some kind of announcement. People are carrying on their own conversations. Now, everybody knows why they're there. They're gathered for a purpose. There's a schedule. You're not just yelling into a crowd at the mall or, or on the street. This is people gathered and they understand. And you yell. You, you try to get the attention of the group. But frankly, some are oblivious that anything is going to happen next. You might raise your voice. May I have your attention, please? Invariably, there's some who are just oblivious. Strangely, not expecting anyone to speak at all. Now, I say that because our relationship with the Lord depends on hearing. Hearing. God shouldn't have to yell to get our attention. In fact, what there should be is an expectation that God would speak. Our relationship with the Lord depends on hearing. And what's involved in truly hearing from the Lord, you have to have an attitude that God will speak. You have to welcome, if you will, the intrusion into whatever you're doing. So the first thing needed in our relationship with God, in our hearing relationship, is being welcoming. Now, it might seem like an odd word to apply. Do I welcome the voice of the Lord? But I, I see this from Abraham's perspective. We're told in the text, he saw them, that is the men. He ran from the tent door to meet them. He bowed himself to the earth and said, O oh Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Now we have to pause here for a moment and really explore who are, these, who are these visitors. And I've already said the Lord, and the text makes it clear that the Lord is among them. Uh, we might call this a Christophany. 
That's the uh, technical term for a pre-incarnate, before taking on flesh, visitation of the Son of God in the Old Testament. So he, he appears in the moment as a man. Uh, some commentarians uh, assert that perhaps Abram is, Abraham is initially unaware that it's the Lord and what he's doing is just practicing typical uh, Eastern hospitality. Uh, I, I think I'm convinced in his address, O Lord, Adonai, even though that expression is used for anybody that you might want to relate to, that you're honoring, uh, I take it Oh, Lord, he, he understands something is different here. This is, this is a unique visitation. But even if he didn't know, by the time he hears the Lord, any uncertainty has vanished. In fact, Jesus made it clear that Abraham had known him. And uh, I'll remind you where this shows up in the Gospel of John, that Jesus, in speaking with the religious leaders of his day, told them Abraham knew him. He said, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Abraham had previously welcomed the Son of God. And maybe this is what the writer of Hebrews had in mind in, in Hebrews 13 too. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. That's where the suggestion might come from, that perhaps Abraham was unaware initially, at least from a distance. But the point here is that the idea of welcoming, this, this idea of hospitality, hospitality flows from a desire to even receive the one you don't know because of how you receive the Lord himself. Those are very much connected. In fact, when we're, when we're commanded in the New Testament to show hospitality, we do so in the name of the Lord. We do so in light of the fact that we are welcoming the Lord himself. It's just as Jesus said when, when he was speaking about the righteous and the unrighteous. He said, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Showing hospitality to the needy, welcoming the stranger, is an act of welcoming to the Lord himself. So let me just pause here and Abraham's example being his welcome of the Lord. Do you welcome the voice of the Lord? Are you eager for that voice to intrude in your day? Are you happy when it breaks in to what you're doing? And do you expect the Lord to speak because you cherish the Scriptures? Hearing from the Lord requires that we have a welcoming attitude towards the things that he would say. Secondly, we see from Abraham's example that he was humble. Part of hearing from the Lord is being humble. And uh, we see here in the text that Abraham thought little of himself. I don't mean to suggest that he thought that he was nothing or that he, he, was, he was expressing any sort of false humility. But he understands that his position before the ones he sees, these three men, the Lord among them, 
O Lord, if I found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. He sees himself as lower. He sees himself as subservient. Whatever you need, I'm here for. I, I am at your beck and call. And so he shows this hospitality as, as a servant. And, and not only does he see himself as a servant, he sees himself, even the things that he might bring, as of little value. Verse 4, let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread. A morsel, just a, a little bit that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may, you may pass on. I don't have much to offer. It's not, it's not significant, a, a morsel. But I get a little water and, and rest yourselves here. And we get that pride is the opposite of humility. I think we'd agree, I hope you'd agree, a prideful person does not hear very well. I mean, you, you can hear, but maybe we would say listen very well, right? And think of almost any conflict that you've ever been involved in. It's often pride, isn't it? I can think of so many occasions where, where I have amped up the conflict because I'm just not listening. No, I've got the answers. You need to listen to me. I know what's going on here, and this is, what's, this is what you need to hear from me, right? Not listening. It's the faulty assumption that, that I am right and the other is wrong. Now, now, the Lord does not need to learn anything from his people. We, we get that. But if you come before the Lord in pride, he is not going to listen. And to hear from the Lord, you need to know that you are lesser and infinitely so. We don't come before the Lord demanding anything. We acknowledge who he is. We humble ourselves before the Lord. We do not approach him as an equal. We do not approach him as a, 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 some kind of divine genie. I need, you to, I need you to deliver on this. We don't approach him as one who can be negotiated with. You know, I'm thinking if I do this for you, maybe God, you're going to do this for me. No. We come before him in humility. To hear from the Lord, you need to know that you are lesser and infinitely so. And that's essential, by the way, because the Bible says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud. God stands against the proud. God puts up the roadblock against the proud. God thwarts the proud but gives grace to the humble. And if we experience God's grace, it is because we have been ready to hear from him. Humility. To hear from the Lord, we need to be humble. Third, we see in Abraham's example, a willingness to sacrifice. You can't hear from the Lord unless you have a willingness to sacrifice. And I don't mean as a way of of appeasing the Lord as a way of offering something up in exchange, but simply the abandonment of anything that we might hold on to. We see here in the text, beginning in verse 6, Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, three seas of flour, knead it, make cakes. And he ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk 
and the calf that he had prepared, and he set it before them. Remember, he said, I'll just bring you a morsel. And what does he do? He goes away, and he gets everything that he can think of to possibly present as a feast to these men. And consider just in, 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 this, in what he is sacrificing here. Consider the time that it takes to prepare the bread. Consider the time it takes to slaughter the calf and then roast it for eating. Think about all of this, the massive investment in time. If you invited somebody for dinner, I, I, I think you might, you might do a little preparation, right? If somebody showed up at your door, I don't know that you'd go out and, you know, okay, we're going to go find one of the animals. We're going to slaughter it while you're here. And, and at some point in the evening, we'll have dinner. That would feel like too much work. And yet Abraham does this. Six hours? Is that what it would take to, to accomplish all of this? And, and notice as well that this calf was tender and good. So he didn't, he didn't pay, pick a, a runt or, you know, I don't know what you call it. He didn't pick a lousy animal. Tender and good. Oh, this is a choice piece of meat here. He found the best that he had, and he invested in time and preparation. You know, and I think it's true that the thing that most gets in the way of us hearing from the Lord, it's our self-centered lives, isn't it? What I think I need or what I want to make me happy, to make me comfortable, to feel good, to feel satisfied, you know, when I put those things as a priority, it's really an idolatry of self. You know, the first of the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. And you cannot, you cannot hear from God if you are focused on self. That's why Jesus said, Luke 9, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Take up his cross. Take up the instrument of your execution. Take up that which kills you. Hold on to that. Hold on to the fact that you are dying before me and follow me. The Apostle Paul explains it this way. He says to, to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. And he, then he goes on to say that we should be transformed by the renewal of our mind. And here's where hearing from God comes in, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, that would, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do you see the connection there? Laying down your life as a living sacrifice, sacrificing everything, then you're actually hearing from God. You're discerning what the will of God is, the things that are good, acceptable, and perfect. Now, hopefully you're tracking with me. I certainly don't expect to hear the Lord speak with an audible voice. I don't. Now, I'm not saying that he could not do so. And if that's been your experience, I, I, as long as he's saying things that agree with the book, I, I'm, I'm not going to argue with it. But, but I don't think we should look for that. I don't think we need that because we have the Scriptures. You may wonder, why, why doesn't God speak to me in an audible voice? You have every word you need right here in the book. It's the God-breathed 
scriptures, which we're told are, are profitable for, for teaching, reproving, correcting, and training in righteousness. These scriptures which are able to equip us for every good work, and good is by God's standards. What is, what is every good thing that God wants us to do? The book, the book tells us, 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. And we have in this book a, a, a collection of words which are living and active, which are in a practical sense or a spiritual sense sharper than any double-edged sword. That the scriptures, the words that are living and active, that, that go to very, that pierce the very core of our beings, discerning our thoughts and intentions. Hebrews 4.12 If it is an essential aspect of the substance of our relationship with the Lord, if that is hearing, then, brothers and sisters, we must welcome hearing the Word. We must attend to it at every occasion that we could possibly find. We organize our church life around this book. And if you came at nine, you would have heard teaching from the Bible. And you're here, you're hearing preaching of the Word. And if you're part of a care group, they, they open the book. And if you're involved in Awana, we're teaching the Scriptures. And, and if you should see what's happening during the week with our children in this place, there are teachers that are reminding them of the Word of God telling them what it says about Jesus in a very elementary way. We focus our lives around what does God say? So we must welcome hearing that. We must know for certain that it is God speaking when we open the book. We must humble ourselves before that word and be willing to sacrifice everything for the sake of taking it to heart. To do what the word calls us to do and where it confronts us about our sin, we repent of that. Where it exhorts us to some matter of obedience. Love your neighbor. Pray for those who persecute you. And we take that to heart as instruction for our lives. And we trust everything that it says about everything. Brothers and sisters, our relationship with God, foundational to that is hearing. Secondly, second part of this that I want to focus on is the believing. Believing. Now, uh, I try to imagine, but I think it's an impossibility. Imagine having any kind of meaningful relationship with someone that you simply don't trust. Like you don't trust anything about them. I don't think it's possible to have any meaningful relationship, whether it's your marriage, relationship with your children, and sometimes... Our children rebel and we don't trust them. Sometimes husbands and wives fail each other and in some matter we don't trust. These things happen. But if we're not aiming at in our imperfect relationships at building trust, we don't really have anything at all, do we, to speak of as a relationship. All of these earthly relationships are based on trusting. That is believing. And it's no less true in our relationship with God. We must believe God. A relationship with God that does not involve believing God is no relationship at all. That's why it says in Hebrews eleven six, without faith, it is impossible to please Him, that is God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists 
and that he rewards those who seek him. Now, I realize that I've got overlap in my headings here, hearing, believing. They sound very similar. The way I've talked about hearing certainly assumes that there is belief and trust. But from our text now, I I just want to give some focus to some unique things, some aspects of belief or some things to understand about belief in our relationship with the Lord, looking at Abraham and Sarah as our examples. So part of believing, the relationship that we have with the Lord, we have to understand that God does what seems to us as impossible. And I'm saying humanly speaking. See, humanly speaking, Sarah was not being illogical, not by any stretch. She knew her own body, right? She's menopausal. The text says, verse 11, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. And this is the the phrase, the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. The way of women. She gets what's going on biologically. Her self-description is worn out. And she (laughs) certainly understands that her husband's no spring chicken, right? Gets it. Not the handsome young man that she perhaps married. So Sarah, in verse 12, she laughs to herself, saying, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The pleasure she's pointing to would be the the joy of having a son, conceiving and bearing a son, one of the most precious things to women in that time, and certainly, I think, still true today. Some people don't value that, but it's so universal, I think. Well, to Sarah's doubt, the Lord responds. Verse 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? It's a rhetorical question. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And he continues, at the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Anything at all? Abraham, Sarah, remember who's speaking to you. I made the universe, I called out, I called you out of Ur, living among the Chaldeans. I have blessed you, I have given you success, and you laugh in disbelief. When Jesus told his disciples that it was with great difficulty that a rich person could inherit the kingdom of heaven, his disciples asked this question, who then can be saved? And Jesus tells us in Matthew 19, 25, 26, Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But he didn't stop there. But with God, all things are possible. Now, it's worth thinking about. The most difficult thing in all of the universe is not that a barren woman would conceive. Not the most difficult thing in all the universe. Not that's the most difficult thing in the universe is not that an invading army would be defeated even before they showed up. The most difficult thing in the universe is not that uh, a seemingly impervious city could be breached. And then it was as a result of marching around it seven times, Joshua. The most difficult thing in the universe is not turning water to wine or a storm being stilled with a word. And these things are certainly humanly impossible, but the most impossible thing 
in all of the universe is that a sinner would be welcomed into the family of God. That's the most impossible thing, humanly speaking. That a holy and righteous God who is sinless and pure, whose, whose justice and the depths of His holiness we cannot fully fathom, the glory of which we cannot even begin to wrap our minds around, that He would allow sinners, people stained by selfishness, self-righteousness, greed, lust, pride, and a whole heinous list of offenses, that we could come before a holy God and be welcomed into His family. Humanly impossible. Now, it has been made possible, of course, by Jesus himself. Because he bore our sin at the cross, because he experienced in his own body the full measure of the wrath of God for our sin, he took that upon himself. And so, while it is impossible with man, God makes it possible through his Son. Now, as a child of God, you, in light of that, though, with the backdrop of this reality of what we have in Christ, perhaps you have, like I, been tempted to think that some things are impossible as you face, as a believer in Jesus, what life gives to you, maybe enduring some trial, pain or grief, loneliness or persecution, or the onslaught of temptation, or even finding joy in suffering. You might have thought these things are impossible. And as you look back on your life, thinking how many times you have caved in, how many times you haven't felt joy, how many times you haven't trusted the Lord, and how you spiral down into despondency at trial and pain and grief and loneliness, persecution. We have to understand this, brothers and sisters. We, we cannot do these things on our own. But God does things in our lives that are humanly impossible. And just dealing with the matter of persecution, if you want to get a story of, of how God supplies extraordinarily during times of the most horrendous suffering, look at Fox's Book of Martyrs and just read the stories. You think, how do they do that? Unless we think that in any of those occasions where they stood up to the persecution, even unto death, that somehow they just mustered it from deep within and, and just gave it at the moment. No. It was God's grace to them. You can't do it. But trust God to do in your life what seems humanly possible. Believe in Him. Believe in Him. Well, there's an aspect that we need to deal with in regards to believing and it's this, that unbelief is sin. Look at, look at verse 13. The Lord said to Abram, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. <laughs> and here's the confrontation. He said, No, but you did laugh. I mean, God's got the insight here. You're, you're, you're not going to escape this. Yeah, Sarah, yeah, you laughed. End of conversation. 
we need to understand something, that God is not neutral toward unbelief. He's not neutral. It's not like this, this well, you know, if you're with me or, you know, I, I get that. If you're not just directly opposed to me, no. God's not neutral towards unbelief. Unbelief makes a mockery of the very things that he has said. Unbelief doubts God's very nature as the very creator and sovereign rule over all. And, and really to doubt God in anything is effectively to call him a liar. Think about that. Now the world, the world tells us that when we trust this book, that we're just a bunch of rubes, we're just unintelligent. And, and they would have us stand over it and decide, well, I like that part. Well, I'm not so sure about that. That's really culturally out of touch. Need to get with the times, Christian. No, that attitude denies the very nature of God, that he has a right to declare. And the only place for us as people in the world is to simply say, yeah, yes, submit. God is not neutral about unbelief. It is sin. And the Lord, we see in our text, the Lord rebukes Sarah's unbelief. Now, the right thing to do when we have moments of unbelief, and I understand, we've got examples in the New Testament where, where the man said to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. Recognizing the weakness of his faith, and brothers and sisters, we can do that before the Lord, say, Lord, I, I believe you, bolster my, help me in my weakness, strengthen me, bring me to places that will give me confidence. That's a different kind of attitude than saying, you don't know what you're talking about, God. That's a dangerous place to be, and that's sin. And that sin, I would suggest to you, is the only sin that when, that effectively is unforgivable, right? Unbelief is, in, in a sense, an unforgivable sin, because if you hold on to it, you're denying God all the way to hell. Now, if it's repented of, it's a different deal. But if you, in effect, if you hold on to that sin, it's going to take you right to be condemned. Unbelief is sin. Well, here's the good news part of this, though. Third thing about that we need to hold on to as regards faith and belief in God. Is anything too hard for God is the question. And we see what happens is that God brings life out of death. That's the that's the big good news here. God brings life out of death. We're told Abraham was old. In fact, when, when the New Testament describes him, uh, the Apostle Paul and the writer of Hebrews both describe Abraham as good as dead. <laughs> I mean, he was walking around, but they say, well, he's as good as dead. Now, I, what I take from this is that the conceiving problem was not just Sarah's barrenness, but something in Abraham's inability as well. Hebrews eleven twelve from one man and him, as good as dead, were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Yet out of this man, a dead man, God, God brought a living son to fulfill the promise and make a great nation. And what did Abraham and Sarah need to do? What did they need to do in regard to this? Nothing. Just believe. This is a fact. What are you going to do with it? Thank you. Yes, just believe that God would do it. 
And I think what this does is it illustrates this, this great paradox, if you will. So what we have, what all of humanity has is a sort of an illusion of life, right? Our hearts beat, we breathe, we walk, we work, we interact with creation. But apart from Christ, and before we've come to know what, what God has done in Him, we are dead spiritually, and that's because of sin. There is no real life apart from God Himself. That life was lost back in the Garden of Eden. We found that at the beginning of Genesis. But for there to be life now, life for us, God provides it out of death. God gives us life out of death. Out of a dead man, He gave a son. Spiritual life for us comes from the death of God's own son. He sent his son into the world to die for us. His death brings life, if you believe. Romans 5, 8, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Still sinners, the status of being spiritually dead. There, Christ met us and died for us. And then in response to what Christ has done, us dying to ourselves and embracing ultimately Christ as our life. As the Apostle Paul describes in Colossians, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. God brings life out of death. Praise God that he does. Now, if you're a child of God today, it's because you've heard his word and you've believed it, hearing and believing. We learned a few chapters ago that Abraham was sim uh, simply believed the Lord and the Lord counted that trust to him as righteousness. And so humanly speaking, it would be too hard for you and I to find our way to the Lord. But God does the impossible. He gives the child he promised to a barren woman and he gives spiritual life to dead people like you and me. And that's the good news. We were dead but in Christ we've been made alive. And so with the Apostle Paul declaring, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. They ask the question, how then will they call on him Call on him in whom they have not believed. And how are to they, they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? Well, they can't. They can't. Exhortation. Our relationship with God is simply based on this. Hear him in his word and believe. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have spoken. And we know that our 
response of faith is not of our own doing. It is the work of your spirit to plant in us the faith that we need to trust you, the faith that without which it is impossible to please you. So it is all of you, God, it is all of you and none of us, and we thank you for that. Lord, now as we turn our attention to how that gift of life given to us was accomplished, how you did the impossible to bring us near to you, as we put our focus on what the Lord Jesus accomplished at his cross, pour out your grace upon us and seal these truths in our mind and our heart. For the glory of Jesus, we pray it. Amen.